Morning, everybody. It's great to see you all out this morning. My name is Jeff, and I'm the teaching pastor here at Good News Gathering. And uh, when you entered the auditorium, you received an outline. It's a white sheet with holes punched on the side, and it has all the scriptures that we'll be covering today and um, fill-ins that will help you kind of follow along with this morning's lesson. So if you want to go ahead and kind of pull that out, and we'll get to it in just a moment. But if this is your first time at Good News, uh, let me give you a little background so you have kind of a sense of how this three-week lesson series that we're starting today kind of fits into the overall theme of, uh, or scheme of this year's teaching. You see, every, every year here at Good News, we pick a theme word for our Sunday morning teaching. And it's a word that we believe captures uh, both a sense of where we are as a church family and what we need to do, um, but um, also for us as individuals. And it's a word that kind of concentrates our attention throughout the year uh, on some aspect of the walk of faith that we must develop and grow in. And our theme word for 2019 has been the word follow. You see, to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And the truth is that, 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 that you know, when it comes to, to that idea of followership, it imposes some realities upon us both individually and as a church family. Simply put, Jesus is the leader. Okay, now it sounds simple, but it's not. He's the leader, we're the followers. He determines our direction, and we follow in that direction. He is the example for how we are to live and how we interact with others, and we follow his example. He sets expectations for and limitations on our behavior, and we follow, doing our best to live up to those expectations and to live within those limitations that he sets in his word. Now, this idea that we are followers of Jesus Christ is really embodied in the purpose statement that this church has. And it explains really why we exist and why Christ called this particular church into existence. And that purpose is to develop seekers into fully functioning followers of Christ. Now, the word develop indicates that, that spiritual growth in the walk of faith is a process, and it takes time, and, and people here at Good News Gathering are, are at different walks or in different levels in their walk of faith, and, and we understand that, and our, our goal is to create an environment where everybody can, can walk and progress in their walk of faith. But it's to develop seekers or, or people who are seeking spiritual truth, and that, that should be all of us. And to develop them into fully functioning followers. In other words, they function or they live out in their daily lives the attitudes and the words and the actions of Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean they're perfect. Uh, None of us are. But this is the general direction, the general thrust of our lives day in and day out. That's what it means to be a fully functioning follower. But what exactly does that look like? And how does a person's life exhibit true followership of Jesus? Well, we illustrate that fully functioning followership idea in this thing we call the G diagram around here, which is that fully functioning followers, first of all, they get the good news of Jesus. In other words, that he came into the world to die on a cross for our sins, and that he conquered sin and death by rising again on the third day. And he offers us a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Fully functioning followers center their lives around that truth. Not only that, but they grow. In other words, spiritually, they they become over time more and more like Jesus Christ. They also give their lives in service to others. And they go into their homes and schools and neighborhoods and workplaces to share the good news of Jesus with other people. Now, throughout this year, our lesson series have kind of been working their way around that G diagram. And the title of today's lesson is Fully Functioning Followers Go. So we're going to hit that last aspect of the G diagram. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, maybe you're just kind of here and you're just, you're checking things out, trying to figure out what Christianity is all about. And if that that describes you, we're thrilled, thrilled to have you with us. 
Maybe you're here because somebody from Good News Gathering has been inviting you for a while and you finally decided to come. And in the back of your mind, part of the reason you came is you're hoping it'll get them off your back. Um, we understand that, okay? But we hope that you'll hang in there with us today and, and maybe you'll walk away with something that adds value to your life. We certainly hope so. Or maybe you're here because somebody invited you to Roots, our annual celebration of music, all music event that we had last weekend. And maybe you came last weekend and you thought, why in the world would these people go to all that work to put on a program that to a large degree is designed for people who don't go to church? What would drive somebody to do that? Because obviously that was a lot of work. I mean, think about it. Last weekend, um, as a result of so many members of this church family inviting people to come as close as we could count, and only counting our volunteers once, we had 2,052 people who attended our four root services last week. Is that cool or what? Yeah. But here's what's really cool. As far as we could tell from the survey that we ran on the, on the Connect cards, 150 of the people that came have no church affiliation. None. And some of you may be wondering, why, why would a church to go, all that, and go to all that work to attract people who don't know Christ or don't go to church? And why would a church encourage its members to share their faith with Jesus, in, in Jesus with other people? Why, why would this church do that? Some of you maybe who aren't Christians might be wondering, well, why can't y'all just be satisfied believing what you want to believe and let everybody else believe what they want to believe and just kind of keep it to yourself. Well, why don't you just do that? Maybe you're wondering, why, why, did it, why is it Christian people seem to feel almost like compelled to tell other people about Jesus? What drives that? And if you've ever had these kind of questions, I just hope you'll come for the next three weeks. That's all I'm asking. Just come for the next three weeks. Because I think if you'll come for the next three weeks, you'll get a clear understanding of why Christ's followers go, why they do that last aspect of the G diagram. Now, you may choose at some point to believe what we believe. You may not. That's between you and God. But at least you'll understand why fully functioning followers go. And you'll grasp the motivation, what it is that drives Christians to go. And the title of today's lesson is Fully Functioning Followers Go With Love. And our focus verse for this series is the words of the Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest Christian missionary who went all over the Roman Empire establishing churches and spreading the good news of Jesus. And he wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. It's up here on the screens. Let's all recite it together. Here we go. Telling the good news is my duty, something I must do, and how terrible it will be for me if I do not tell the good news. Now think about what he's saying there. He said, Christ calls his followers and his churches to tell the good news of God's love. It's something we must do if, in fact, we are followers of Jesus Christ. And Paul makes it very clear in this statement. He says, for those who call themselves followers of Christ, there is something terrible, something awful, something absolutely wrong, something out of whack with a follower of Jesus Christ who fails or refuses to tell the good news. Something's not right. In fact, it's terrible, he says. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend in your word this morning. Father, help us to think well and to have an open mind so that we can, we can see what you're trying to get across to us. Help us, Father, to have open ears to hear your voice as you speak to us through your word. And then, Father, help us to apply what we learn to our lives. 
so that we too can be fully functioning followers. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Now friends, today's account comes from the Old Testament. And if you're not that familiar with the Bible, the Old Testament is the part of the Bible that comes before Jesus walked on the earth. It's B.C. or before Christ, okay? And it's, this story is actually found in the, in the book of the Old Testament called Second Kings, which records a history of part of the, part of the history of the, of the Jewish people during the period where they were a nation and had kings, okay? And Moses, you may recall, led the people of, uh, of uh, Israel out of Egypt in slavery in Egypt, and they established their nation in what they called the promised land. We, we know it today as Palestine. And for a time, the, the, the nation grew in strength and power under three kings, beginning with Saul and then the most famous king, David, and then David's son, Solomon, who was supposed to be really wise. You may, may remember that. He wrote the book of Proverbs and, and that sort of thing. But but it was, it was growing and getting stronger and more powerful. But when Solomon died, approximately 930 years before Jesus came to the earth, there was a power struggle that ensued afterwards, and the kingdom split apart. And it split into what was known as the northern kingdom. And they're, they're going to show you a map here in just a moment. Um, <clears throat> the, the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, you see it there on your map, and its, its capital city was a city by the name of Samaria. And then there was the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah, which was named after the, the largest tribe of, of, um, of Jews that lived in that area. And, and that capital city was Jerusalem, okay? Now, the northern kingdom was ruled by a succession of, of fairly bad kings, evil guys, and it ceased to exist in 722 B.C. It was crushed by the Assyrian Empire. The southern kingdom was ruled by the descendants of King David in Jerusalem, and, and some of which were, were good, God-fearing kings. And that, that kingdom continued to exist until about 586 when it was conquered by the Babylonians. Now, the nation of Israel as we know it today wasn't really reestablished until 1948. Okay, But today's story takes place in the northern kingdom during the reign of this guy by the name of King Jehoram. This happened about 845 years before Christ. And you, his name may mean, probably means nothing to you, but you may remember his dad or his mom. His dad was a guy named King Ahab and his mom was Jezebel. Both of them pretty bad people. And he was kind of the same, Okay. But the story that we're going to cover today goes like this. It says that King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria, the capital city of the northern kingdom. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Now, Hang with me for just a second. So you have the northern kingdom get attacked and invaded by these Arameans. And they besiege this capital city of Samaria. And rather than attack it and lose a lot of soldiers in attacking a walled city, they simply surround it and then they decide they're not going to let anything in or out. And this siege went on so long that food supplies ran out and starvation set in. Now, the people were so hungry that they began killing domestic animals. That's why they're talking about donkey's heads, okay? And they're, they're eating this stuff because they got nothing else. And this was especially horrible for Jews because they considered donkeys to be unclean animals. And for them to eat a donkey had to be just something, I mean, that, that was unthinkable, those animals could be used for work or transportation, but they were not to be eaten. And this, this statement about dove's dung, the, uh, some scholars believe that that was actually a euphemism for these, these like seeds that they would actually feed to animals, okay? But they were so hungry that stuff that you would only normally feed to animals, 
you would pay exorbitant prices for just to have something to eat. You have to imagine that the siege went on for a long time and these people are starving more and more and there are a number of of just awful things that happened in that city, gruesome things, like people eating their own children. Okay? Now, there are a number of interesting aspects to this story and I encourage you to read it, but we only have time to focus on one aspect. And the aspect I want to focus on this morning is four lepers who were barely surviving outside the city. It's a fascinating story, but it goes like this. It says, Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. You have to understand that leprosy was this horrific disease that was both incurable. In other words, when you, when you got it, unless there was a miraculous healing, you were probably going to die from it. It's just the way it was. But not only was it incurable, it was also contagious, or at least believed to be so. And so nobody wanted to be around you once it became clear that you had this horrible disease. In fact, you were not allowed to be in the city, within, inside of a city. You were not allowed to be around people. In fact, Mosaic law required that if you had leprosy, and you were out in public, and you saw people heading your direction, you had to begin to yell the words, unclean, unclean, over and over, so that everybody would know not to come near you. Now, if you were fortunate, healthy family members might bring you food, but what they would do is they'd bring it outside the city, they would put it someplace where you'd know it was going to be, then they would go back, they would back away, and then you would come and get it. And they would stay a safe distance away from you. It's awful. Absolutely awful. But it wasn't really cruel because nobody else wants that disease and they couldn't cure it. And so for safety's sake, you've got to basically be quarantined. But these lepers are in a terrible spot. Because the Arameans have surrounded the city. And so they come in and they surround the city. And where are these, where are these lepers going to go? So they can't leave for fear that the Arameans will kill them. They can't enter the city because they have this awful disease. And no one is bringing them food because there isn't any food to be had. So their situation is awful. As if having leprosy isn't bad enough, they're starving too. And these four guys have this brutally realistic discussion of their options. Notice what it says. It says, they said to each other, why stay here till we die? I mean, mean, think about it. I mean, we're wasting away little by little. And staying here means death by degrees. This is a bad option. But then they go on. If we say, we'll go into the city... The famine is there, and we will die. So it's like, if we stay here, we'll die. If by some hook or crook we try to get into the city, which nobody's going to like, but if we at least get inside the city, there's no food there. So if we try to do that, we're going to die. And then they kind of go back to option one. And if we stay here... We will die. And and when I first read this, I was thinking, I wonder why they revisited option one. Well, it's probably because they're thinking, okay, if we head over to the the Arameans, they're probably going to kill us because they're not going to want lepers around either. But But then they go on and say, so option one is bad. Option two is bad. Back to option one, that's still bad. So... Let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. <laughs> and then in, in a statement of sublime honest, uh, um, obviousness, if they kill us, then we die. Okay, yeah, that, that, I guess that makes sense. But anyway, and I'm thinking what had to be going through their minds? Because in those days, it was not unusual for captured people to be tortured, executed, or enslaved. 
Those are probably your options if you're going to the Arameans. Now you think about what would drive you to take that chance. You got to figure being used as a, as a slave is out because you got leprosy. They're not going to want you around. So you're taking a high risk. In fact, I think probably what they were hoping is that as they neared the Aramean camp, all the Arameans would see they had leprosy and would back away and just let them walk right on through. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. These are guys at the absolute end of their rope. And you got to figure, they're thinking, you know what? If they kill us, at least they put us out of our misery. So what do they do? The Bible says that at dusk, which is interesting because some scholars believe they waited until it was almost dark to go because they were afraid that archers on the wall of the city would shoot them. Why? You're probably thinking, why? Well, because they may be thinking, these guys know, know this city. So they're going to go to the Arameans and tell them the weaknesses here. But at dusk, they got up and they went to the camp of the Arameans. And when they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. So God had worked this amazing miracle before the lepers ever got to, it says here, the edge of the camp. And I think that's important because I imagine what was going on is these guys are kind of walking out nice and slow, trying to figure out, okay, here's the first tent. Don't see anybody. Look in the tent. Ain't nobody in there. And what they didn't know is that God had worked this tremendous miracle and panicked the Aramean army and they fled and just ran and left everything behind. And you can imagine the impact on the four lepers. The Bible says this, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank. In other words, they go into this tent and they see all this food and they see all this stuff to drink. And not only that, they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. Now, you can imagine they, they, they probably snuck into this first tent at the edge of the camp and they wondered, okay, maybe, maybe these guys are just out on patrol or something. And so I can imagine when they went in that tent, you know, they, they tell one of the guys, okay, you keep a lookout, man, because who knows when these people are coming back. And so they start, they f- start finding food and they start finding stuff to drink and they're, and they're like jamming this stuff in their mouths because they're starving. And I can imagine they're thinking, wow, this is, this is awesome. The party is on. Our ship just came in. And then they start noticing there's stuff in these tents, silver and gold and clothes. And in those days, clothes was a, I mean, to have more than one set of clothes was a sign of wealth. And they're, they're, they're finding clothes. And, and so they, they start grabbing stuff. And they're like, man, this is, this is like, you know, this is like winning the lottery. It says they went off and hit them. They returned and entered another tent. And by this time, they're starting to think, man, you know, the, we're not hearing anything. Nobody's, nobody's coming around. Nobody's noticing anything. And, and, and they returned and entered another tent and took some things from it, hid it also. I mean, these guys are poor and they're thinking, man, we're rich. Hide it. And they go from tent to tent. And not only hide it, but hoard it. Because we'll probably never have another opportunity like this. But at some point, in going from tent to tent, these guys realize this isn't just a small part of the army. 
that may have been sent out on a patrol or may have been relocated and they're going to have to come back and get their stuff. No, they're gone. They're gone. This is a miracle. The entire army is just gone and they've left food. The very thing those people back in Samaria need. People in the city are dying. They're cannibalizing their own children. And there's food here. But they don't know it. They're not aware. This miracle happened and they don't know. And the Bible says, then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This isn't right. There's something wrong with this picture. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. In other words, they're saying the Arameans are gone. The siege is over. There's plenty of food here for the entire city. People don't have to die. But they don't know. Because we're keeping it to ourselves. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. And then their thinking shifts. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. In other words, if we wait till daylight, somebody's going to find out. Somebody's going to catch wind of this. Somebody's going to find out that army's gone, and we're going to get punished, and rightly so. Because it's immoral. It's wrong to have good news and keep it to yourself. It's wrong to be able to save the people in that city and say, not my problem. It's wrong to have the means to save lives and yet do nothing. In fact, it's a sin. Whoa. And then they said, let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. And they did. They let the city know. Interestingly enough, at first the people couldn't believe them. They were like, no, that, that, that couldn't have happened. There's no way. But eventually they send a couple of chariots out to check it out and, and they find out the story is true and the people, the people run out of the city to find food. And friends, there's four lessons we can learn from the four lepers about going with the good news. First one is this. I'm going to hit these real quick. In order to go with the good news, I must sincerely believe the good news. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, dude, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? Well, think about it. The lepers knew they had good news for the people of Samaria. They knew that army had disappeared, didn't know how, but they knew it had. And they knew the siege was over and food was plentiful and available. They just had to tell folks. And friends, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, for there is one God, and circle this phrase, one mediator between God and mankind. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for many. In other words, there is not one God among many gods. There's not no God. There is one God. And there aren't many pathways to God. There aren't, you have your pathway and I have mine. There is one mediator between God and man. One go-between, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And the question is, do we sincerely believe it? Do we sincerely believe it? Do we believe that there is one and only one God? And do we believe that there is one and only one mediator between God and mankind? 
Because you see, if you and I are not convinced that Jesus is the one go-between that enables sinful people to connect with God, then the motivation to share the good news with others is nil. What's the point? They can get there any way they want. They don't have to go through Jesus. They can if they want. Or maybe he's okay, but there's other ways, and so pick, pick what you want. The question is, do we really sincerely believe the good news? Do we believe it? Second, in order to go with the good news, I must genuinely grasp the eternal realities. I must genuinely grasp the eternal realities. If you think about it, the lepers grasped the fact that they had kept their good news to themselves if they had done that people would continue to experience physical suffering and death, physical realities. But the good news of Jesus Christ involves eternal realities, not just physical, but eternal, spiritual realities. Most people are familiar with John 3.16. We see it on placards at almost every football game. But most people are not familiar with the two verses that follow it. Let me read to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then catch this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Son. You see, we have to understand that when we go with good news or when we fail or refuse to go, there are eternal ramifications to those choices. Now, in order to go with the good news, thirdly, I must honestly accept that failing to share the good news is sin. It's sin. Remember the lepers said this. They said, keeping the good news to ourselves is not right. It's not right. And then they went on to say, if we don't tell, punishment will overtake us. You know, we've been entrusted with news that impacts eternity, not just the here and now. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And an ambassador is a representative, one who speaks for someone else. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And friends, you and I have to accept honestly that if we fail or refuse to share the good news, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's sinful. Because the Bible is clear that God has given us this message of reconciliation to help others reconcile to him. Finally, in order to go with good news, I must love others with an urgency that moves me to action. I must love others with an urgency that moves me to action. Think about it. The lepers said, let us go at once. And report this to the city. Not, okay, we'll get there tomorrow. Or no, we'll go there next week. Or hey, we can go there if we ever get around to it. No. Let us go at once. You know, the Bible tells us, love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know about you, but if my neighbor has really good news that could save or change my life... I'd sure want him to tell me. And I wouldn't want him to delay. And the same is true for me. 
If I love my neighbor as myself, then I have good news that could change their life. And I need to tell them without delay. Friends, what we have to understand is people all around us who are outside of Jesus Christ are under siege. They are under siege from the evil that is in the world. They are under siege from the evil one. And we have good news. Good news. That Jesus Christ can lift that siege. Now friends, this morning, we have something very special for you. Because one of the ways that the G&G family has been going with the good news is through our international partnership with the Lacroix New Testament mission in the country of Haiti. If you're new to Good News Gathering, you may not be aware of this, but we have been partnering with this mission since 2009. Haiti is located about 700 miles south of Florida. It's one of the Caribbean islands, and G&G has been involved down there by sending teams sending rice and bean meals. Last year, I think we packed over 30,000, or earlier this year, we packed somewhere in the neighborhood of 30-some thousand uh, rice and bean meals. And we've also partnered um, with the mission in other ways. And the mission was actually founded in the early to mid-1980s by Pastor Pierre. And we've worked with Pastor Pierre for years. And not only have we sent teams down there, Um, But we've also sponsored children in the schools uh, that the mission has created. In fact, our church sponsors at this point in time over 200 children, and that's all done by individual sponsors within the church. Now, the the, the mission, excuse me, is located 85 miles north of the capital city of Port-au-Prince, and as you see on that map, we fly into Port-au-Prince, down in the, more in the southern area of, of Haiti, and we travel on National Route 1 um, up the coast, about 85 miles to the area known as La Croix, where, where the mission is. Now, unfortunately, as many of you probably are aware and may have seen news clips, Haiti is experiencing extreme political and civil unrest at this time, you may have seen something like this. Protesters running from tear gas. Clashes with police. Barricades and fires. Stores looted. These are the scenes of anger paralyzing Haiti's largest cities after more than a week of deadly unrest. The demonstrators are demanding their president's resignation. I'm in this situation because of the Haitian president. I can't go to school. He is a thief. He must go. If not, we'll burn down this whole country. Accused of corruption, the administration remained silent for days as outrage grew. Then, in a televised address on Thursday, the president issued a defiant response. We have already had a series of transitional governments that have given a package of disasters and disorders. I will not leave the country in the hands of armed gangs and drug traffickers. As the security situation worsens, Canada has closed its embassy, and dozens of foreign tourists reportedly found themselves stranded after roads to Haiti's largest airport were blocked. The U.S. has ordered all non-emergency personnel and their families to leave, and advising U.S. citizens not to travel to Haiti due to crime and civil unrest, citing widespread violent and unpredictable demonstrations. Meanwhile, humanitarian aid agencies are evacuating some staff who have been working to provide relief for the impoverished nation. Well, the work has, has basically ground to a halt. Public transport has, has uh, been more or less non-existent, uh, and, uh, and it's unsafe to, to um, go out in cars because you, you don't know where roadblocks will be and, uh, or demonstrations. Haiti remains one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. And after a devastating earthquake in 2010 that killed more than 200,000 people, despite international efforts to help, the state of the economy remains in a state of disarray. 
The price of the dollar is going up and up and up. We can't stay in this situation. There will surely be a revolution in the country. Besides skyrocketing inflation, reports of a long-running corruption scandal are also fueling unrest. Billions of dollars earmarked for social development in Haiti allegedly went missing, sparking anger among citizens with little left to lose. Zane Asher. This morning, I'd like to introduce you to Pastor Evans Solomon from the LaCroix New Testament Mission. When we give him a warm G&G welcome. Now, I want you to take a very good look at Pastor Evans' face because this is the most popular face in all of Haiti. Um, The reason I say that is because every time we fly in, this is the face that we look for. Because once we see him at the airport, all our anxiety tends to go down tremendously um, because we know things are going to be okay once he's on the scene. Um, And Pastor Evans, you you lead the um, church at the mission. And how many years have you done that? Since uh, 2000. So, uh, 19 years then. 19 years. Okay. All right. And obviously, um, you know, we just watched this video and and people have been asking me a lot of a lot of questions uh, about the mission and and how it's doing and and whether or not we're going to be sending a team in January and and the answer unfortunately is no it's simply not um safe to do so at this time in fact um some of the airlines have canceled their flights um so it's very difficult to get in and out in fact pastor Evans um you came here for the summit with with the churches that help support the mission. And then when things deteriorated, you've not been able to get back to your home. Yes, uh, I have more than two months in the U.S. I supposed to come back uh, uh, last month. But uh, when I talk with uh, somebody in Haiti, they don't advise me to come back uh, because it, it is not safe. And uh, I talked with Pastor Pierre uh, too and Orlando. He said to me, no, uh, it is not good to, to, come back, to come back yet. Okay, so, so even if you could fly in for perhaps to Cape Haitian, which is one of the larger cities on the north yes. of the island, <laughs> you could not get back to the mission because they're barricading the roads. Yes, they all... Words in the country are back by Caleb. And uh, if uh, I come back, I will say, in Bottomless or Capation, uh, I cannot attend Gonaive or Lacroix. I cannot. Okay. Now, your family actually lives in Gonaive, your wife and your four children. Yes. And that's about 10 miles north of, of the, where the mission is located. Yes. And... Have you been able to stay in contact with them? Yes, every, every day. I talk with my wife, with other people in, the, in Lacroix. Uh, so uh, all big cities in Haiti are in big turbulence, big tomorrow, but uh, Lacroix uh, uh, is a quiet place. Uh, no turbulence in Lacroix. Okay. So, so most of the unrest is in the major cities. In the cities. Okay. Mm-hmm. Lacroix itself is fairly quiet. Yes. But I've been asked if the kids are still able to go to school, and the answer is yes and no. Yes and no, because uh, uh, Lacroix, a mission is closed by the national world, and the gangs use the national world. And uh, this is why we, uh, in Lacroix, we don't ask to the parents to send their children at the school. But in other lake locations, in the, uh, like uh, Paul, like La Coupe, like Foucard, we uh, school are uh, in session. 
Okay. So, so even though even though the school at La Croix is currently closed because it's located on the main highway. Yes. And gangs kind of control the highway. Yeah, they they come and back, so it is not safe. Uh, okay. And these these people are armed. Yeah, they they have big uh, guns than police office, officers. <laughs> so they have bigger guns than the police. Yeah. That's not good. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but the kids, the kids that attend school in other areas are still able to go to school because they're not, not on that central highway. Is that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and so, so some people have, have asked me, well, should I continue to, to pay my sponsorship? Um, because you know, I I don't know if our if our children or or the children we sponsor are in school, and and let me just say, my wife and I are continuing to to make our sponsorship contributions simply because, um, you know, for some of you, your kids may still be in school depending on what school they are at, but for us, um, we know that they're holding they're they're holding the money, and hopefully at some point. Um, when the unrest settles down, then they can go ahead and get that money in. It's difficult at this point in time to get money into the country as well as food. Um, and and, and you, you mentioned that um, when we talked on Friday night, you mentioned that it's, it's not really about corruption. I mean, obviously there's, there's allegations of corruption. There's there's a lot of unrest. There's political collapse. But you indicated to me that you feel like the real problem in Haiti is spiritual. Yeah, before, uh, the problem before it is political or social, it is first spiritual. Because uh, when you uh, look at the Haitian leaders, the Haitian uh, politicians, uh, they, they don't have a good, a big heart. Uh, their heart are, are, not, uh, are not close to God. So this is why they choose to, to make that like that, to destroy, to burn, and uh, only for, uh, because they want a president to step down. So uh, the first the thing in the problem is spiritual. Okay. It's in their heart. You know what the Bible said? It says, where is your heart? This where is your treasure. Okay. <laughs> where your heart is. Yeah, is your treasure. Uh, you're going to have to help me with that <laughs> word. So... Uh, 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 where your heart is, is your... Uh, Treasure. Yeah. Gotcha. Treasure. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> now, I know you have a tremendous heart for evangelism. Yes, and uh, this is my passion, evangelism. I, I have a passion of the souls. Uh, so, we... Had last last month uh, a breaking ground of uh, a new church building and the mission, and uh, in this same building uh, will have uh, a Christian radio station. So we want to broadcast to evangelize the worshippers Voodoo, uh, Voodoo's worshippers, and uh, to educate. Uh, the people there, and uh, so the first uh, the first thing is uh, to have the heart for God. Okay, so so your church has has been growing, and and you need a new building, and so yes. you've broken ground on that. Yes. But part of part of that church building is going to be a radio station. Yes, a radio. But uh, after the earthquake in two thousand ten. Uh, Structurally, the the building of the church was uh, unsound. So this is why we uh, we want to have another 
building for the for the congregation for the church, and uh, and the same time we'll have uh, this radio station and the same the same this same building. Uh, like like you know, uh, when God give you give something in your heart, he uh, put something in your heart, or he give you a a vision. Always, he make provision, and uh, we have uh, uh, now ten thousand dollars for this project okay. for, for the radio station. Okay. So, so your original church building, which we've we've gone to services in that building, it was damaged. That it was rendered unsound by the earthquake. Yes. Okay. I, yeah, because I, I remember because we were there when that happened in, in the buildings. We could feel the building shaking. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Now, one of the other um, projects that, that's going on there at the, at the school is, is the development of a trade school. Yeah, the trade school is going well at this time. Uh, even the turbulence in the country and uh, last year we we ha- we had uh, three options uh sewing uh computer and uh carpentry this year we had uh, we we uh we had four more options electrical plumbing uh masonry and welding so uh many youth Come uh, in, the, in the trade school for uh, to to uh, learn something for their life. Okay, so the the object of the trade school is to train them so that they can have have their own uh, um, job, so to speak, and in and to provide jobs for people. Yeah, uh, uh, they can. Work a um, young uh, can uh, after the trade school they uh, he can work uh, with uh, himself. Uh, so the mission uh, previously uh, uh, can help them uh, after they. After they have, after they uh, they graduate, the division we can help them uh, to work. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the idea is not only just to educate them, but to also give them a usable skill. Yeah. Where it, they can work exactly. afterwards. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll tell you what. Um, one of the things that uh, I I wanted to ask you is is um, if if you had something that you would like to say uh, to the Good News Gathering family, what would you say? In the beginning, I want uh, to say that to uh, express to you, uh, to the church, my uh, to thank you, my to express you my gratitude uh, for helping the ministry. All, uh, all thing you are you have done, uh, you help our children to go to school. You uh, every year you go to Haiti uh, to help uh, mostly the poorest people with their health. Uh, so what you do is priceless. So thank you. In the name of the ministry, I thank you. Um, you know, I, I ask you Friday night, with, with, with our team not being able to go this year, which is kind of heartbreaking for many of us, um, I ask you what we could do to be of service to you all. And, and you said one thing. You said pray. Yeah, because at this time, uh, we can do nothing in the country. Uh, even you have food, you cannot send it because uh, everywhere 
words are blocked. So we cannot help people there. Only at this time we need prayer. Prayer for Lacroix community and uh, other area, uh, Lacroix and vicinity, and prayer for all the country. Well, you, you cited me to a verse, Second Chronicles 7.14. It's up on the screens, and it goes like this. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that's a tremendous prayer, not only for Haiti, but for the United States as well. Yes. Um, but I'll tell you what, folks. Um, I've asked Pastor uh, Evans to pray for us. And this is going to be a little different because he's going to pray for us and pray for the mission in his own language. And I asked him to do that because I've had the privilege of hearing him pray at services in Haiti. And his prayers are even though I could not understand a single word he was saying, there was a power in the room that you could almost touch. And I wanted you to hear it. Now, he's, he's written it out so that I can, I can tell you what he's saying as he goes along, okay? I am not interpreting because I don't know Creole, but he wrote it for me in English. And so at this time, if you would stand... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna close with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Papa, Heavenly Father, Almighty God. Here we are in your holy presence. To thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you especially for giving us life in Jesus Christ. Papa, nous prions pour l'Église universelle. Father God, we pray for your universal church. Manifestez grâce et l'amour pour peuple à travers le monde et dans l'Église. May you manifest your grace and your love to all people on the earth. Good news gathering. Arise before your throne, Good News Gathering Church. Bless Pastor Jeff and the staff who lead this church. Cover them under your grace. Every Christian is in your hands, Lord. Bless them. Allow that they can have hope and assurance only in you as God. May they always be attached to the truths of your word. You say in Matthew 16:18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Bless your church, God. Seigneur, dans bonté ou, m'a demandé autant prix, fais grâce, gain pitié. Lord, in your goodness, 
I ask you to be gracious and merciful to the Haitian people. For they are afflicted. They are distressed. And they are having to go through hardships. Bring them courage and patience in tribulations. Deliver them from afflictions. Bring comfort to them during this difficult time. Ou même qui connaît besoin chaque monde. You know the needs of each person. Répondre prière nous au nom de Seigneur Jésus-Christ et toi. Respond to our prayer in Jesus Christ, your son. Et sauve-nous. And our savior. Amen. Amen.